Shalom everyone, it's Petey here and I'm so excited for today. Today I'm bringing to you another one of our Q&A sessions where I'm going to be answering some questions that were sent in by some of our listeners. I love these because these are all questions that I know a lot of you are all thinking about at the same time. And I know it's blessed some of you before, and I hope that this one does the same. Some of the questions that were asked that I'm going to be delving into today includes one about the biblical calendars regarding how we determine the feast dates. There are so many of them out there. And how do we deal with that? Another question that came up that I thought was good was one relating to spiritual gifts and how that relates to our relationship with God. Another question was regarding Romans 5 verse 20. Another question was also regarding Torah keeping and then a question regarding preaching the gospel. So I hope you're ready for it. Uh, I'm going to dive right in here today. So the first question is one that I think I've been wanting to talk about for a long time, but it's certainly one that's quite difficult to talk about because of how many different opinions are out there. And so and this is regarding the calendars, as I mentioned earlier, the biblical calendar, if you would like to call it that is what we use to determine when we celebrate the biblical feast days. And if you've been around circles of people who celebrate the biblical feast days, you may quickly notice that, well, not everyone always follows the same calendar. And sometimes people follow a different calendar. And that means that they ultimately celebrate the feast days on different dates um, than others around them. And sometimes those feast days are celebrated on different dates every year because many people also, as they're exploring all of this, change their mind quite often about what the right calendar is. Now, before I go into this, let me just say that I think it's very healthy to always question things, right? That what we've been taught and to make sure we're doing the best we can and how we follow his word, how we interpret it, etc. And so I always encourage study. I I think it's so healthy. Um, And here's the question that was asked. Let me read that to you before I go ahead. Um, Leonor from Brooklyn, New York, he asked the following question. I'm so confused. There are so many brethren who keep feasts on different days, according to different calendars. Does it make a difference if we're all just trying our best to be obedient to Yah's appointed times? Why are there so many variations? Well, let me answer one part of this question first, and that is why there are so many variations. Well, the answer is simply because there are so many interpretations. Most people go off what the Bible says, and many have different interpretations upon what it says and and how we determine the calendar. And then there are others who also look to extra biblical books like the Book of Enoch to also glean from in their determinations of when biblical feast days need to be kept. And this is just by nature going to cause people 
coming up with different calendars varying more either very differently from one another or maybe having a day or two apart but the second part of this question is for me even more important and that is does it make a difference you know at all and if we're all just trying our best to be obedient to his appointed times you know i want to tell you a little story there were two children right and they are in their room, they're small, and they have never made a bed in their life before. Their father, early in the morning, comes into the room when they woke, after they woke up, and he tells them, My sons, I'd like to ask you to make your beds. But now, the two boys, they look at one another, and they have a little bit of an anguish because it's like, I love my father, but he's asking me to do something I don't know how to do. I'm not, I'm not sure about it because this father, he has never actually come right up next to them and showed them exactly how to make a bed. They've heard, they've seen some things, but they're not exactly sure. So the father, he leaves the room and now these boys are left to their own devices. The first boy, he looks at his bed and he looks at it for a good two to five minutes, trying to figure out what he's going to do. And after looking at this bed, he's coming to the conclusion that he really is so unskilled. He has so little knowledge about how to do all this that he's going to simply leave it. And he's rather going to let his father come and help him when his father comes back because he feels like if he cannot do it perfectly, he might as well not do it at all. Okay, the, the second boy, he looks at his bed and he also takes a good two to five minutes and he's just staring at it, looking at it. How is he going to do this? He's trying to figure it out. And finally, he takes his pillowcase. He tries to put his pillow in it, right? And he puts his pillow on the bed and, but he puts the, the, the pillow on the wrong side of the bed. And he, and when he's making the bed, he doesn't know how to push, uh, put, put, put it in under the mattress properly, right? And everything like that. And it, it just looks all rumply and it looks terrible. Actually, you know what? It actually even looks worse than when he started out with, he should have just left it. Someone would, could argue. But the father, he enters the room after a good while and he, and he sees the two beds. He sees the one bed and it's the, the bed of the one boy who, who didn't do anything. And, and he looks to his boy and he asks, why, why didn't you do anything? He said, father, I, I don't know how to do it. I was afraid of messing it up because I don't know how. And see, his fear of perfection kept him from trying. And well, let me say his fear of imperfection kept him from trying. And the father looks to the second boy and he asks him, and, and you, how did you, how did it go with yours? He said, father, I try my best. I don't know if it's good enough, but I really try my best. With which boy is the father going to be more pleased? By nature, the one who tried his best. The one who says, oh, I don't, I'm lacking information. I don't know how to do it perfectly. I'm not going to try at all. 
that one is not going to be pleasing his father because his father didn't ask him to do it perfectly. He asked him to try his best. At the end of the day, this is how I see our father. You know, just like we wouldn't get upset with our child doing his best, he wouldn't be getting upset with us. We ought to try our best. And I, and that's why I said I think it's important for us to try our best with something like the biblical biblical feast days because this is something that we aren't sure about. We, there's, you could argue we have a lack of information because we have been so far disconnected. We're living in this diaspora, if you will, this 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 time in history where we are so far removed. We've been so far removed from how to do this stuff. And now we're back, we're 2000 years later, almost, you know, arguably, and we're, we're trying to figure it out again. How did Yeshua and his disciples do it? We're, we're back at that place. And that's difficult. That means we're not going to get it right the first time. We're going to take a while to figure this thing out. And we may not even have it perfectly figured out until our father walks into the room and he sees our bed and he see, sees we tried our best. And he comes and he says, my son, I'm so proud of you. You tried your best. Let me show you now how to do it perfectly well. That's what he wants to do. And that's what he's going to do when he comes back. But there's a second element to this thing. And that is while we try our best with the feast days, I don't want us to forget about what this is all about. Because my fear is that so oftentimes when it comes to these kind of things, we have unknowingly, maybe in ignorance, started using these feast days as a measure of our spiritual maturity in whether it's our way. And what I mean by that is sometimes it becomes an our way or the highway thing and and our um, and, and how right, like in terms of what day we keep the feast on becomes more important than what I think is most important. And and you see, if you think about the feast days, what they're all about is they're about repentance. They're about fellowship. Fellowship with people around us and with the Lord. And they're about um, an audit of our lives. Those are the main things that I, I see it as being about. And and one of the most important aspects of it is the unity that the father wants us to have on these days. You know, I, I don't actually think it's that big of a mistake. You know, if I could even call it that, that we have so such a lack of clarity today. I think the father designed it all this way because he wants to test us. He wants to see are we going to love someone who we don't agree with perfectly enough to be willing to be in unity with them? even when we have some small disagreements, because let's be honest, this is a small disagreement. If I disagree on what day to keep a feast, that's a small thing in the grand scheme of things. I can still be in fellowship with a brother or a sister if I disagree on what calendar to keep with, you know, with them. And so my position has been that yes, I can have my passion of trying my best and figuring out a date. But when it comes to a fellowship I am in, people I am around who I fellowship with and love, who are brothers and sisters, and if they keep it on a day and I don't agree with that days per se, guess what? 
I'm showing up. I'm going to be at that feast on that day because that's what it's all about. That's what it is. That is like the purpose of the feast. I would rather celebrate the feast with a community of believers on a, if it's a few days off or whatever, than celebrate it alone without anyone else in my backyard. And there's no one else who's going to be around because they're all doing it on a different day. You, do you get what I'm you see what I'm getting at? Because I believe the father will, would be pleased if I look at the day and I see, well, there's a brother and a sister to love. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord and love your um, neighbor as yourself. And that unity is needs to be fostered because if we want to bring people into the faith, if we want to provoke the Jews to jealousy, we want to we want to really look to be in unity. What did Yeshua say? They will know you by the love you have for one another, not by how you are right. How, well, how you think you're right, because here's the other little just string on this whole thing is that no one is that I would be I'm kind of I'm not sure, you know, about it when we go and we say that we know we it's my way. I know that this is the right date because Francis, your scholars disagree on this all the time. Um, people disagree all the time and, and I can be very sure about my position, but there's always this chance I'm wrong. And I don't know if it's worth breaking fellowship over this thing I may very well be wrong in and over this thing that is very well not a deal breaker. Okay, so um, I think that this is this is what's very important because Yeshua is going to come back and set us all straight. He's going to come back and tell us, okay, everyone, listen, you guys, this is the day that I want you to celebrate this on. This is the time. And and that's really what the point is. Like, that's how this is actually supposed to all work. Because remember, at this point, all these things are rehearsals. Like the feast days are rehearsals. One day they're going to be totally fulfilled. And and Yeshua is going to be around. He's going to be king on the throne on, you know, well, he's on the throne, but he's going to be on the throne now on like as in on ruling earth, if you will. And then we're going to know where this is all going and what date. And that's really the purpose of where everything is heading to. So in the meantime, we're trying our best, but we're also going to try our best to be in unity because that's really important when it comes to these feasts. Right. So I hope that this answered this question about this one. I know this is there's so much more to unpack, but in this this little Q&A, I don't have more time for or in this scope right now. Um, but I hope that this answered this question for Leonor. All right. The next question is for Alan. And, and he Alan asked the following. He's from Birmingham and he says. After seeking our father about the gift of healing, I believe it's more tied to our relationship with them than I initially understood. Can you provide insight into how our relationship with God impacts our ability to minister to others with gifts? Okay, so I think this is such a beautiful question. I remember when I years ago, right, just in the beginning of my journey, um, I remember looking to the Lord and I was so hungry, 
just for him, to be used by him. I was praying since I was a little boy for him to use me as his instrument. You know, I, I was, and, and I remember with this grief in my heart for the world and for the nations to be safe, for this, this, I was begging the Lord to use me. I was saying, Father, um, here I am, send me, right? And that was the outcry of my heart where everything started. And I think that, you know, that outcry must be in our hearts. If you want to be used by God, that must be there. And then he comes with his Holy Spirit. He fills us, he equips us, and he gives us his spiritual gifts. But you want to make sure that your motive is pure and it is for his kingdom above all else. So his question is, how does our relationship with God impact our ability to minister gifts? You know, I need to be uh, intimate with God behind closed doors so that when I get out in the open, I'm able before someone else, I am able to manifest what I have been experiencing behind closed doors of the Lord. And I can and I can and I can have confidence out there when I have been sh- shown behind closed doors that he is with me. But you won't know he's with you if you don't have a relationship. And if you don't pray in private, you don't have a relationship with him. Right. So so this relationship with him is is obviously extremely important. And there's two extremes of this that I also just want to touch on here. And that is if we work in gifts without a relationship that is strong. And this is to some extent possible. I mean, you can grow in gifts. The gifts of God are irrevocable. So you could start operating in giftings and then having your relationship with God slack. And then you can have God work through you because he will work through you. He could work through a donkey. Trust me. So he could work through you, even if your relationship with God is not where it's supposed to be. And it will be dangerous for you to see him work through you and think that that is God's stamp of approval on your relationship with him, because it's not. God can work through you just like he can work through a donkey. That does not mean that your relationship with God is where it's supposed to be. Your relationship with God is supposed to be strong and he can work through you regardless of whether it is. So just be careful of that. The other extreme is um, is also that uh, don't be, be careful to think that we work for this power or something that we work to receive a Holy Spirit that we work to receive a spiritual gift. You know, I'll, rem- I'll never forget. There was once a time when I, I remember speaking to a man and he said, you know, I, I told him about casting out demons. We were talking about that. And he said, well, PD, you know what? Um, one day when I have learned to keep the commandments more, a bit more, better, if I can grow a bit more in righteousness, if I can be a bit more holy and these things, then, you know, then I think God would maybe use me in casting out demons. And there's nothing wrong with that desire of holiness and righteousness. And I, it's amazing. However, if we think I'm going to have to achieve some standard of holiness before he's going to use me, I'm going to tell you, you're going to wait a long time. 
Because at the end of the day, we all have issues, we all have problems, we all struggle with sin. And while we have to overcome our sins, it is not our um, level of righteousness that determines whether his Holy Spirit will work through us. Remember what Paul said, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law? Of course not. It was by faith. And so with all things as like that, it goes with the same. It's faith that it is that you need for the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. So I don't want you to also work, try and, and, and work, because I need to ask you the question of what power source are you plugged into? You know, if I have a appliance, I'm going to plug it into the wall and that's how it gets its power to work. And that power source your, is your power company and that power company needs to have good, clean power that's stable and all that, right? But if and so that's how it is with with this is is God is supposed to be that power source. He is supposed to be where we are plugged into, if you will. But you if you you can't plug an appliance into itself, you can't try and wire it up so it tries to get power from itself to work. It has to be coming from a really good power source. So but some people, when they try and work, and have their works be the thing that they think is going to give the power, how holy they are, how righteous they are, how well they've done things. It's like plugging plug in and plugging an appliance into itself. It's like trying to plug it, you, you into yourself and trying and instead of trying to plug into God. You can't. There's no power that's going to come from how well you kept the Sabbath today or how well you kept the feast day or what day you kept it on like we talked about or anything like that. Like at the end of the day, the power source is God, is the Holy Spirit because of Yeshua's death and burial and resurrection ultimately. So make sure that you are plugged into God. You don't depend on your own abilities or even your own righteousness, because in that case, that appliance is not going to be turning on faith in what he has done. Faith in his power is paramount. All right. I hope that answered that question. Next question I'm going to is from Vic. Victor Cabrera, he, he asked this. He's in Ivanhoe and he said, Regarding Romans 5, verse 20. Hey, PD, what is your understanding of this? Romans 5, verse 20. Now, I'm going to read this and um, we're going to see what it says. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, this is an interesting passage, because if you read it on the surface, you would see that, well, this is kind of strange. What's Paul saying here? Is he saying that the law is some bad thing that's causing us to sin, increasing trespass, as he is saying here? Because it kind of sounds like that. And I've even heard that preached from the pulpits, right? Like the law is this bad thing because it look here, Romans 5 verse 20, the law increases our trespasses. Stay away from the law and you'll stay away from sin. Like, I don't know how that makes sense, but 
it's been said. Um, no, that's not what this is meaning. And let's let me explain you why. When we read earlier, as with many things, con- many things, context is so important. And this passage especially, it's true for Romans 5 verse 13. Just a little earlier on, we read this. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Okay, so to go on the argument of what some have said that the law increases or trespass, don't look to the law and you won't sin as much, you won't trespass as much. That doesn't make sense because, well, in Paul's own words, sin was in the world before the law was ever given. Okay, so the law was not the issue. Like, we have sinned even before a law was given. So if that's the case, how can it be that the law is to blame? And how can it be the case that the law actually causes us to sin? That doesn't make any sense. He, But see, Paul is trying to make a different point here. He's saying sin is not counted where there is no law. And that's really the point of all of this. Because see, you can think about it this way. The purpose of the law is to show you what sin is. It's to teach you what is right and teach you what is wrong, to give you the knowledge. And so that's what the point is. So that means sin was always there. Like Paul said, sin was in the world before the law was given. Sin was always there right from the fall. And even though so because it was always there now, it was just not always known. In other words, think about it this way. When the the incident of Cain and Abel happened with the murder, the first murder, just think about that. Imagine there's a little town there and and they've never experienced a murder in their in their ever before, right? And they don't have a law against murder because why do you have a law against something that has never occurred before? Okay? So now the first murder happens. Everyone is shocked. I can't believe it. And what happens by nature, that little town, they're going to make up a law. They're going to say from now on, it's wrong to murder. And anyone who murders will have these consequences. And that's where laws start coming from. That God gave us laws. People have made up laws in society. That's why we make laws because of transgression. But just because there's no law, that doesn't mean that there was no sin, right? You can, uh, there was no law against murder, like written in stone yet, but yet it was still wrong for the murder that occurred between Cain and Abel. Okay, so Paul is simply saying here now this. Now, now let's read that part again. Um, Romans 5 verse 20, the law came in to increase the trespass where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So when he's saying the law came to increase the trespass, what he's only really saying there is that not that the law came to increase our sin, but rather that the law came and it made us aware of our trespasses and your trespasses increased in your knowing of it. Because before the law, you didn't even know you were doing wrong. And so you didn't know about your trespasses. 
but your sin has always been there. So he, Paul is not speaking against the law. He's not saying the law is bad or some way. He is actually saying it's a good thing. He's making a proposition that the law is wonderful because the law is teaching you to live more godly. The law is teaching you to live holy like Yeshua lived, keeping it. And now your trespasses are made known to you so you can repent. For how will you repent if you don't know what to repent from? How will you repent if you don't know what's, what you've done wrong? Right? So, uh, Victor, I really hope that this um, answers your question and uh, helps you understand it. I know that that's a certainly a tricky one. It was certainly tricky the first time I read that one. Right. Amanda, this is a question from her. She's in Kansas City, Missouri, and it's regarding knowledge. And she says, just interested in your thoughts, although knowledge can be good, in order to discern and rightly divide the word, however, do you think constantly seeking the deeper or hidden knowledge in place of actually doing anything like evangelism, being out in the community, etc., is becoming prevalent in the body? I fear that the quest for knowledge is causing division due to ego and pride and so forth, misleading many and keeping a lot of people from actually walking in the spirit. That's just my opinion. Thank you. Right, I, guys, I think that this is such a good question. You know, I, um, I, I totally agree that there is this danger, uh, Amanda. I think that the pursuit of deeper and more hidden knowledge, while knowledge is good, can be good, um, his people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, there's also the fact that knowledge puffs up causes pride, uh, you know, the leaven of the Pharisees is what Yeshua came against. And these men, these certain Pharisees came against him, had a lot of knowledge, but they did not know him. And so knowledge, I don't know why it has become this, but for some reason, knowledge in the minds of many has become equal to spiritual maturity. People have thought that, okay, well, if I get more knowledge, it makes me more spiritually mature. The Bible teaches differently. The Bible doesn't teach that. Now, knowledge can contribute to spiritual maturity. Knowledge can contribute to making you aware of, like we just discussed, what you do wrong and repenting from that. Okay, there's many good things about knowledge. However, think about this. Yeshua said you need to believe like a child. Let the children come to me. That's a profession that's very, very, very sacred and holy. That's one that says, you children are worthy of coming into my presence. There's nothing more important in all the world than that. There's nothing more important to you or to me than being told you are welcome in my presence by Yeshua. Okay. And he told that to children, children who weren't the most knowledgeable. Children who were children. But what did they have? Faith. The belief of a child, as you said. You see, it is great faith that is equal to spiritual maturity. At the end of the day, you can have a man who has all the knowledge in the world, but if he's not able to step out and walk on the water, it's not going to do him any good. You can have a man who's lacking in, in a lot of knowledge, but he knows what's most important, at least. 
And he has great faith, on the other hand. And he can step out on the water. He can please God. He can be used more mildly by God than the greatest scholar and professor who knows every word in that Bible. You see the difference. So I'm saying all this because it's so important for us to not think, you know, I don't want us to jump from this one revelation to the next in terms of knowledge and then forsake what is most important. And that is our relationship, our faith, our belief. How how much do we really doubt God and, and how much do we really believe God? Because that's what is most important. And I believe that is really a sign of spiritual maturity. That's what I respect more than someone's knowledge is their faith, their trust. And yeah, I believe that that's the father's heart as well. So um, another perspective that she brought up is the perspective of um, the doing and the study aspect of things, because see, I think it's very important to study, but not at the cost of doing. You see, there's many people who try and discern spirits and do things like that, but they've never casted out a demon in their life. There's many people who try and judge how spiritual gifts ought to look and be walked out, yet they've never operated or done spiritual gifts in their life. See, The word is not something that you can just study. It has to be something that you start doing because it is in the doing that you actually receive the greater revelations about about the things that you actually want to know. It's not just from reading it. I have learned way more by doing than studying. And uh, I'm going to ask you that, hey, look at yourself and ask yourself the question, am I doing or am I just studying? Because I think just studying without doing is what causes this pride, this ego to be puffed up. But it's the doing, it's the reaching out to the homeless, the orphan, etc. That is what creates humility in us, creates the love of God in us because we are lowering ourselves. We're allowing God's spirit to move through us and change us. We're allowing his love to flow through us as well. So it's comfortable studying, I know, and it's uncomfortable doing, but it is more rewarding, I would say, even to do because you will see the father move. And so, you know, just to prove, I guess, the point of how this is something on the hearts of many people, brothers and sisters. I just had another question come in from someone. Uh, her name is Mitzi. Um, she's saying, I love hearing your videos. We've given out many of your Spirit and Truth books. Well, thank you so much. I praise God for that. I have some questions. I was wondering your perspective on some things we are curious about with the Torah movement on keeping the commandments on Leviticus, etc. Many times it seems many people are more concerned so much about the Torah. It seems they want to get people more to Torah than Yeshua and ostracize many that don't believe just the way they do or, you know, wear linen, zitzits, etc. But yet they're consumed with the Nephilim, hunkering down and so separating from others. They're not concerned with the homeless, the orphans, etc. They seem more concerned with communal living than anything else, etc. All right. So, you know, a lot of the things that she mentioned, you know, I, I agree with, you know, a lot of these things are biblical things, but at the end of the day, there are weightier matters of the law. And Yeshua did say that he said it to the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees, they wore their zitzits, nice, long and tidy, but they forsook the weightier matters of the law. 
And I think that the way to matter to the law are the same as it's always been. And Yeshua desires us to still focus on those things. And so, yes, I do think that the the homeless, the orphan, the widows is not as important to us as it should be. Um, and uh, I'm just I'm reading some of the things you said. Uh, yeah, and, and so, you know, I think that Yeshua didn't just call us, right? to become a more Torah obedient version of Israel in the wilderness. Now, let me explain that before you stone me. Um, <laughs> there are things that he said that weren't in the Torah that he said he wants us to do. He, he, he raised the standard is what, what I'm saying. He, he brought us the Beatitudes and he said, you've heard it said, don't lust. Don't you know commit adultery? I tell you, don't lust in your heart. You, if you look at a woman of lust in your heart, you committed adultery. That's so much harder to do than the actual act of adultery. You know, he said, don't murder. He said, you've heard it said, don't murder. Yeah, that's in the Torah. But then he said, well, that's that's nice and all, but I tell you, if you hate your brother in your heart, if you're angry at him, that's just as bad. Like he and he's raising, he's elevating the standard to such a degree that. Is so much the Torah is, is beautiful, lovely, and good. But he is saying, when you're going to be my disciple, I'm going to call you to some a standard that's so high, and I don't want you. And, and I think that some of us have been so distracted, just like Mitzi and Amanda. I think have, have noticed and mentioned, and as I have seen, there's many interesting things. But some of us get so distracted, brothers and sisters, that. And it grieves my heart if we are, and, and I'm not saying it's wrong to look into some of the things that were mentioned here, but I'm saying that if, if we look into those things at the cost of the wider matters of the law, then yes, we're, we're off track and we're distracted and we have to be careful of that because I don't want to know everything about the Nephilim yet stand before God with no love. I don't want to have all my seats and linen garments <laughs> and yet stand before God and I never played a part in the Great Commission, the, the thing he told me to actually do just before he left. Like, I, I don't want that because that's not going to be good for me. So I want to do my best. I want to grow more in this and the area that are the waiter matters of the law. And, and I want you to consider seeking the father's heart on those things as well and trying to grow in those things as well. All right, brothers and sisters, I hope that that um, answered your questions. Um, Mitzi and Amanda, I'm going on to the next one here. This is a question by David, and this is our last question for the day. And he, he's got a good question about what the preaching of the gospel should look like. And he said this, oh, and he's from Serbia. That's awesome. So he said this, does preaching the gospel need to be preached publicly? Or can you just have an intimate conversation with people and share the truth with them? Okay, this is a beautiful question. I love it. And so thank you for asking that, David. You know, I would say a few things about this. You know, I think that there's this expectation or this or this assumption or this, you know, we have an idea in our mind of what what, what should something look like, right? And, and when I said preach the gospel, maybe in many of your minds, you guys who are listening, you immediately think, wow, that means, you know, getting up on a stage. That means getting up on a street corner. That means um, 
something of that sort. And but that's not really what it's about um, necessarily, right? It can be that, and it is that, but it's so much more than that. I actually think what's more important than getting up on a stage, you know, I mean, that's wonderful. You know, that's something. That's an, if that's an opportunity and a door God has opened for you, go for it. But what's more important than a big conference, a big stage, a big revival meeting, even those I love those things, right? Is for every individual believer to manifest preaching the gospel in their lives everywhere they go. And you see, what I mean by that is simply when you go through your day, you know, you're going to meet people. You're going to meet people who are believers, people who aren't. You're going to meet people in different parts of their lives. And you're going to work with these people at your job. You're going to meet these people at your children's school or at your homestead co-op or some, you know. Um, you're going to meet it in these people in many places. And ultimately, these people are there because God has put them in your life. They are there because God has put them on your path on that day. Every I believe that every person I meet, God has put on my path. The guy that comes by to fix something in my house that day, you know, he is the guy God put on my path. The man who is the Amazon delivery guy who delivers a package for you, that is the guy God has put on your path. It could have been another one, but that's the one God chose to be at your doorstep. That coworker is the lady God picked in her life to be sitting next to you. That's not a coincidence. God wants you to do something about that. He wants you to be a Yeshua to them, if you will, because that may be the only way they ever meet the true Yeshua is through your life. Now, this means that preaching the gospel is simple and that it is it is like David said in our intimate conversations with people. But also, I would like to extend that to our everyday conversations. I don't think it should only be reserved to an intimate time alone where no one else is around. And, you know, those uh, moments we do that, that's precious. But but sometimes those moments are going to be more public and it's going to be me and a person in the grocery store or it's going to be me and someone in a workplace at a conference room table where I have um, I have seen that I have been there myself and I know what it's like um, uh, at a job. Um, those are amazing opportunities where God can move powerfully if we're willing to trust and have faith in him. So that's where we could meet people. Um, and uh, one thing I would just say about this is that uh, I don't want anyone to live in guilt over this thing. Don't live in guilt because you struggle with this because, well, join the club. Everyone does. In the beginning, it was hard for me to wrap my head around to this kind of stuff. It was it was um, 
impossible for me to imagine myself doing any of this stuff because of my personality type. But at the end of the day, I learned that, well, that's probably a good thing because it's not supposed to be me. It's not supposed to be my abilities, not supposed to be how well I can do stuff. It's about how much I depend on Holy Spirit. That's what matters. And so you need to grow in your understanding of how much you really need to depend on him. And then maybe you will be able to wrap your head around it more that he could do such a thing through you. And um, push yourself out of your comfort zone. Push yourself, really go into places, into moments where that is hard and difficult and uncomfortable. I get it, but go because it's worth it. He wants you to. He's cheering you on. He, God is so proud all the time, no matter how well we thought we did. For for many of us, even a small step is a big step, right? Um, and and I think that, that that pleases the Lord so much that... Um, yeah, brothers and sisters, I, I, I can't describe it. So take risks and spread the gospel. Tell someone about him, even if it's something small and simple of he loves you or um, um, is there anything I can pray for for you or or something as simple as, hey, sir, you did such a good job. And if you're able, you know, you bless them in some way, whichever way you can. Um, be a blessing to someone. Let them see you be a light. Let them see you be different. And then that's how you're going to be so powerful in uh, you're, you're going to have God work so powerfully in your ministry because that is your ministry. My ministry is more important in my every day than anywhere else, because if all people who are believers did that, the world would be changed. Um, no amount of conferences or public meetings can make up for the power that would be behind all believers doing what I just said in their lives, because that would be multiplication. That's discipleship. That's everyone being a disciple maker, because soon you're going to have people turning to God in your life. You know, if you start following this pattern over the years of telling everyone you can about him. All right, brothers and sisters, I hope that this Q&A has blessed you. Um, thank you for everyone who sent something in. Um, I hope that this opened your mind to think about some of the things we talked about here and um, pray about what I said, because I know some of it was controversial. <laughs> um, may the Father bless you. May he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he lift up his counts upon you. Give you shalom. May give you blessings. And uh, may he open doors for you this week. Blessings and shalom. Like this video and subscribe to this YouTube channel for more videos just like this one. And I want to say a special thank you and a shout out to our partners who have made this video and every other video this month possible. Thank you so much.